If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, open them to the book of Mark. So we've started going through the book of Mark, and as you're finding that, you might also want to find Matthew chapter 3. We looked last week about how John the Baptist has showed up on the scene to begin preaching and pointing people to Jesus, the fact that the Messiah was coming. Today I want to talk to you about perfect in every way. If you've ever bought anything new, usually the excitement of buying something new, uh, you're looking at it, you think, oh, it's perfect. I'm, and you get it home, and then you start looking at it, and you realize, well, there's a scratch here. Oh, man, there's a small dent there. Oh, man, I, that was not near as good a shape as I thought it was. I took my wife and children to the tractor supply, and not all of them went in with me the other night. And I was looking for one of the seats that have the wheels that you can work on stuff and roll around. One of my children, it wasn't the oldest one, but I'll leave it to there. One of the other ones went in with me, and I was looking at the two different seats. And she said, Dad, you probably ought to get the best, heavy-dutiest one that says right there that's $99. I said, uh, you're trying to call me fat in a nice way, aren't you? She goes, absolutely. And so I bought the less expensive one because that's how I roll, and uh, and I got up to the front desk, and it was already put together, and I said, you know, that's got a little bitty uh, tear in it. And she goes, well, you know, damaged products gets more off. I'm like, what? Never would I know that. And so anyway, I got that home, and my daughter said, why would you buy something that is already messed up? And I'm like, it's going to be in the shop. It's probably not going to last under my weight very long anyway. And so it doesn't really matter. Got the cheaper one for the time being. But if you know anything about important things, like marriage, like your job, like your church, when it all starts out, it it seems like it's all going to be perfect. But if you've lived very long, you realize that you start to see the things. One of my favorite is when a couple starts dating. Oh, they're just perfect in every way. Oh, they're, they're just the way they smell, the way they look, the way they talk. Everything's great. And then after a period of time, you begin to see that while they're wonderful and while they're special and while they're God's gift to you, they are not perfect. Especially when you get married and you, uh, for the first time, hear that person is like my wife would hear me wake up going, right? What is that? Is that phlegm? Did you swallow pudding? What, What in the world? Right? And you can do something for your other men. If you're looking by your wife, you look at her and said, nothing I have found nothing wrong with you. Perfect in every way. But the reason there is so much unhappiness in marriage, the reason there's so much unhappiness at work, there's reason there's so much unhappiness at church is we're looking for perfection, and there's only one perfect one, and his name is Jesus. We look for perfection from a marriage where people are fallen, they're broken, they make mistakes. We look for perfection in churches, but yet pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, the people you go to church with are fallen, broken people. And so today as we look at perfect in every way, we are looking at who Jesus is. Because friends, if you really want your life to have meaning in the valleys, in the difficult moments, you have to know what to expect. And from Him, it's perfection. And from everyone else... 
It's an opportunity to extend grace. I could just tell that most of you, because of the rain and the dreariness, just seem a little bit down today. And so if you would stand with me, I want to read this together and get, kind of get the, the energy flowing through us. In Matthew chapter 3, we look at how Mark is a very action-packed gospel. It's a very short gospel, and it leaves out a lot of the details. And so we want to look at what was going on when all these people were coming to listen to John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Multitudes, tens of not thousands of people were there listening and being baptized by John. And were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquestionable fire. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, today we thank you as in the first service. And Lord, today in the second service that you would move, that you would work all for your glory. Lord, we ask that the preaching of your word would honor you and edify your saints. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so John has all of these people come and he begins to see the religious leaders and he says, you're not here for the right reason. He says, you think you've got the right name, you've got the right dress code, you've got the right background. And he says, but you're wicked. And you need the Lord. He says judgment is coming if you don't know the Lord. And the message is the same today. For those of us who are saved, we know that we're saved by the grace and mercy of God. That we did not deserve it. We couldn't earn it. But yet, because of His great love for us, has made a way. But what we see here is this is the setting. You have people that are excited. You have people that are there for the wrong reason. You have people that are, that are there to worship. You have there people that are there to judge and to undermine. And in the middle of all this chaos, glorified and challenging, here comes Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, our text for this morning, it says in verse 9, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately... Coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is important because what we see here is a quick overview. But if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew gives us more details about why this is such an important event. In Matthew chapter 3, it says in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. 
And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John says, I've been telling everybody that the Messiah is coming. The sinless, holy Lamb of God is coming to take away our sins. And you want me, a sinful, fallen man, to baptize you? He said, that doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, what does He say there? He just says, permit it to be. What is going on here is something very significant. Jesus is identifying with us. You see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is perfect in every way. He is the Son of God. He has always existed. Everything in creation was made by Him and through Him and for Him. But when we talk about the Christian faith, the central theme is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came and died in our place. He took our punishment. He took our sins. But that's only half of it. Because when He died, when He took my punishment and your punishment and was buried and rose again and conquered sin and death and the grave, not only did He take something from us, He gave something to us. That's why it is so important here when He says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We give Him our sin that He takes the punishment for, but He gives us His righteousness, His perfection. And one of these days when I stand before God, it's not going to be because I was a good church member. I'm not going to get into heaven because I was baptized. I'm not going to get into heaven because I'm a pastor. It is going to be because the perfection of Jesus has been given to me And my punishment and sin was taken by Him. And what we see here in this story is, He is identifying with us. I'm going to go through what you should have to go through. And I want you to see from the words of my Father that my payment is enough. My sacrifice will be accepted. Now, if you were to go out to Teftiller's today and say, I want that $60,000 truck and I will give you twenty grand." and I'm taking it today, they're going to look at you and say that payment is not enough. But because the Father audibly spoke from heaven, and the Spirit, a picture of the Trinity, says, I am well pleased. I can go to bed at night knowing that when Jesus died, it was enough. When Jesus overcame sin and death and the grave, it was enough. The sacrifice wasn't Corrupted. The payment wasn't short. It was enough. And so the baptism of Jesus was not because He needed it to be saved. It wasn't because He needed to be cleaned. He wanted you to know that He was coming to die for you. That He was coming to take your place. And so as a Christian, everything we hold dear is that truth. The message that we have for lost people is the same thing. That Jesus came and didn't die for the godly. He came to die for the ungodly. That way no matter where you've been or what you've done or the mistakes you've made, the sins that you've lived in, Jesus came to take your punishment. We see that from this text. It goes on though. 
And it's verse 17, it's very important in Matthew chapter 3. Because it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It says it in Mark. It says it in Matthew. Because why? God wants you to know when you begin to doubt, when you fail God, when you make mistakes, when you sin, when you begin to question, God, do you really love me? God, can I really be saved? That you need to be reminded that it's not because of you. Your salvation is not dependent upon you. It is what He did. We see here from the Holy Spirit descending, it was anointing His earthly ministry. It was equipping the flesh side of Him to do the works and miracles that He would do. And so we see that Jesus was anointed and approved by the Father. The second thing, and only the two points that I have this morning, you're thinking, man, is this the third week in a row for a short sermon? We'll wait and see. We see here, though, that as soon as that happens... The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered to him. I want you to look at that statement, and was with the wild beast. You see, that seems like kind of a strange thing to add in there. But as we looked last week, this would have been a letter that would have went to the church at Rome. And the church at Rome would have been a a, a very new church, a very church that had been persecuted. And this is how the Word of God works in each and every one of our lives. Most of these Roman Christians who would have got the Gospel of Mark would have been aware of the Colosseum. The Colosseum was a place taken faith and fed to wild animals, dying for their faith. And it's known from church history that this sentence became the prayer of the Christians that were being killed. The Lord has faced the wild beast and He overcame. I might face the wild beast and lose my life, but I will overcome. See, the Word of God speaks to our hearts, our situation. Mark didn't know everything that was going on in Rome, but the Lord did. And what it says here is, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. You would say, well, Jake, he's pleasing God. Why would he have to go through hardship? He's honoring God. Why would he have this struggle? And the reason is because there's another great truth that God wants you to see from this individual situation. If you're familiar with the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, I believe it to be literal, I believe it to be historical, and I believe it to be accurate. Thank you. The rest of you to get right. All right? But in the beginning, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They had all the food. They had a perfect relationship. The Bible tells us in the beginning that they had everything. But yet when Satan came and tempted them, they what? They fell. But yet, the Bible says that because of the first Adam, sin entered the world. That means when Adam sinned in the garden, death entered the world. Creation fell under the curse. Every problem the world knows is because one man and one woman sinned in the garden. But the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the second Adam. It's like the first Adam made everything wrong. The second Adam is going to make everything right. 
And this is a picture of how Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the garden and fell, but living in the wilderness and succeeded. He overcame. He was perfect. And so when I look at him as a believer, I know that he is enough. He fasted, it says here in this passage of Scripture. He was tempted by Satan. But let's go over to Matthew chapter 4 because Matthew gives us the details of what that was like for the Lord. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward He was hungry. He was hungry, He was alone, and in that moment, just like in the garden, Satan appears. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is not saying you can't have breakfast. He's just saying that it's not enough. It's not enough to tempt God. It goes on in the next one and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. You see, in Adam and Eve, Satan said, Did God really say? He questioned the Word of God, the authority of God. And Jesus, in the very same situation, says, The answer is, what God said. What God said. What God According to the book of John, that Jesus is the Word. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Friends, if you want to know what the answer is to your sin, what the answer is to your loneliness, what the answer is to your brokenness, what the answer is to your lack of joy, it's Jesus. It's a relationship with Him. Knowing Him. Loving Him. Trusting Him. Understanding that He my place, that He wants a relationship with me, that He's willing to welcome me in to His family if I'll just repent and trust Him. But after that, friends, if you want to know how to be the parent God wants you to be, the husband God wants you to be, the wife God wants you to be, how to be the employee God wants you to be, how to manage the money that God has given you, it is all about what is written right here. The Word of God says. The Word of God says. How do I be the parent that my children need? The Word of God says. And friends, you want to overcome whatever it is you're facing. This church is not the answer. Your Facebook page is not the answer. The Word of God is the hope that you and I have in a world that is ever-changing. A world where you can't watch the news. A world where you can't do anything because it's so broken and corrupt. The Word of God is... It's enough. I think this is very important though because what we see here is one, he offers him what he needs with food. One, he offers him what he would like 
And that's glory. Everyone wants, everyone's prideful. But the third one is the most interesting. He says, bow down and worship me. And I think this is interesting because when we think about this, there was no one else around. Jesus had done it. No one else would have known. Now, we know God would have known. But his disciples wouldn't have known as he called them. His mother wouldn't have known. While no one's looking, you can worship me. And he says, no. And this is really important. Because right after that, this verse ends with, and the angels ministered to him. Most we think about the fact that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, in all places. If you're living in sin, it begins to make you angry. Because you start to think, well, so he knows about what I watch. He knows about what I said when no one's around. And it, and it causes us to be angry. Because we'd like to keep from God. We have things that we'd like to keep from other people. But if you know the Lord, this is one of the most encouraging things. Because even though Jesus was alone, even though Jesus was the Son of God, even though the Bible says that He's always existed, He's always been, He has all power, that God knew what He needed when He needed it and was able to provide it. That means that you're going through that no one else knows about. God knows. Now, I know that you don't ever try to hide things, but I'm going to tell you, I like to hide things. And I wasn't going to tell this story, but in the first service, it just was the perfect timing, and I thought humiliating myself. Yesterday I decided to go visit my mother and father. They're, they're fine. They're not sick. They're here. They can validate this story and all of its humility. My nephews were there. and I'm not a real good uncle. I'm busy. I work too much. So they were there. And my nephew said, if I make this shot from 25 feet on the side of the goal off the backboard, will you race me? As you know, I'm very dizzy. I have some health issues. And I said, sure. Bring it. He made it. You can say a lot of things about me. I'm a jerk. I'm hateful. I'm, but I'm not. And so as I got up in my jeans and my dress shirt and my slip-on shoes, I thought, I'm <laughs> Is he eight? Is he nine? My parents are here somewhere. They're at the balcony. And I'm not losing. I mean, if my grandma, I love her, but if she was blocking home plate, I would charge it. I'm telling you. That's just how I am. And so there was no running easy and looking over at him. I was as hard and as fast as I can for that. We're going to call it 100 yards, but it was probably 15. All right? It was not very far. So I got down, and I mean, I'm, I'm ready. He had been mouthing me. You know, I've been beating him basketball. He beat me. I'm fat. You know, all those things that happen. And I take off as hard as I can run. I mean, not, not I mean, as hard as I could go. I mean, face is red. I mean, I'm just going... And I get to that white line, and I've won, and I know I won. But something happened. You ever heard the joke of the person whose car fell off and went rolling past them as they were still driving? That's what happened to my shoe. And the next thing I know, I realize I'm going down. <laughs> they're up there, they're laughing at me. I can see it on their face. I'm not, we're not talking like tuck and cover. We're talking boom, 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 boom. Hit so hard, the air was gone. I thought I was dead. I thought if he was under me, he would be dead, all right? 
And I laid there for a minute. I couldn't breathe. Everyone else is laughing at me except for my three daughters that were with me. They're crying. They're the one, he's not going to make it! I have no skin from here all the way down. You know, I mean, I think I broke my elbow. My wife had to button my shirt for me this morning and my pants. But apparently we didn't get my zipper because Jay said the barn door was open in the first service. So... say why would you tell that because it's humiliating but it's funny but I'm going to tell you what is different and I'm going to close is friends most of us have things in our life insecurities fears doubts that we would never want another soul to know and we hide them and fear that doubt that unforgiveness rots us from the inside out and God already knows it And what I want you to see from this text is the Lord knows how to minister to you. Friends, I might not ever know the struggle you have, but God knows it. You might have unforgiveness directed towards someone for something that happened to you as a child. God knows it. You might have a fear that that is crippling you from who God wants you to be. God knows it. I struggle now in the world that we're living in when my wife takes our kids to ball games like she did yesterday to Bowling Green. I say, when you get there, I want you to call me and tell me where they're all playing, how far you'll be from them, because there's one of you and there's three of them and the world is full of creepy, awful people. I need to know. So she calls me and she's like, they're here and I'm over there. And I'm telling you, I worry about it. I've done this too long to know things happen. I struggle with personally that I've been trying to get along with God and say, Jake, you're not God. Everything, But I have seen what it looks like to bury a child. I've seen what it looks like. And so the older I get, that's something I begin to struggle with. And so that's a fear that I would never honestly admit to another soul if God didn't make me. Because why? God's working on me. And today I want you to see that because there are so many things that are keeping us from being who God wants us to be, but it doesn't have to. You say, well, Jake, I'm just so embarrassed. God will forgive. God can restore. Look up here. Even in this passage of Scripture, you had people that were judgmental, critical, evil, and self-gloating, and they will always exist. They will be in every church you ever attend. But look up here. not how God is. God is willing to forgive. God is willing to work in your place. God is willing to work in your hurt. God is willing to work in your pain. And you say, Jake, what does this have to do with these two stories? He identified with us. He went through it with us because of this reason. Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing that we have a high priest who passed through the heaven, Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our... It doesn't say victories. It doesn't say God shows up with you in your victories. He does. It doesn't say God sympathizes with you when you're successful. He says He sympathizes and with you when you were in your weakest moment. When no one else wants to love you. When you don't even want to love yourself. When you don't think there's an answer, period, in that moment, we have a God who is sympathized with us because He's been there. He went through 
perfect. He went through it and never failed. He went through it and never sinned. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I feel the most broken, when I feel the most worthless, when I feel the most unlovable, God says, at that moment, you come. When the world has convinced you, when Satan has lied to you, when your family has abandoned you, when your friends have betrayed you, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're sad, in those weak you don't just come weakly. You just don't come sneaking in the back door. You come. It's right there. No, it's not right there anymore. <laughs> Boldly. Because God knows you. He died for you. He loves you. And His relationship with you is based on who He is, not on who you are. And friends, He will make you perfect one of these days. But it's not this day unless He calls you home. And so friends, while we don't embrace our weaknesses, we don't celebrate our sin, we shouldn't gloat over our mistakes, we should remember though that when we fall short, He is enough. And that is the greatest message I can leave you with this morning is that if you're here and you've never been saved, friends, you're an enemy of God. You're broken. The Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. There's no church, there's no pastor, there's no ritual that can save you. But Jesus loved you so much that He died for you. It says He didn't die for the godly, but for the ungodly. And friends, today, if you're lost and if you'll repent of your sins, that means you've got to fall under conviction. You've got to turn from your wickedness and turn to Him. Say, Lord, I'm leaving the sinfulness, the wickedness of my life. I'm turning to You. The Bible says that if you'll call upon His name, He will save you completely. Or where you've been, what you've done, He will save you. But today, if you're a believer, many of you are, my guess is Satan likes to pick you apart a little at a time. Boy, you shouldn't have lost your temper there. Boy, you shouldn't have said that at work. Boy, you shouldn't have been that kind of spouse. You might as well just give up because... And in that you remember that Jesus has been tempted in every way and overcame. And when you feel like there's no value in your life, He is in you and you are valuable because of Him. Pray with me as you stand. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray today that You would forgive me for any sin, any wickedness that's in my heart that would hinder or grieve Your Spirit. And Lord, right now as we approach this time of invitation, Lord, there is nothing that can happen unless You do it. Lord, I pray for anything in my heart or the lives of the leaders of this church that would grieve Your Spirit right now when it is totally dependent upon You working. Father, right now I pray that you would begin to stir in hearts that have towards you, that know you. Lord, those who have gone complacent because of the sin in their life. Lord, those that are hurting and are just too afraid to say it. Lord, today stir up in them what is needed. Father, for anyone in this place today that's lost, what do they think they're too good? What do they think they're too broken? What do they think they've found another way to heaven? Lord, that today your Holy Spirit would show them that they need you, that you're the only way to heaven.
that they're the only one that can forgive us of our sins. And Father, the day that you draw them, you deal with them, Lord, that they would be saved. Father, whatever it is, a time of thanksgiving for those, Lord, who have been able to overcome through the power of your blood and your word, we just pray that you would move in a mighty way. And God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.